This is the In Self-Defense Podcast with Don West and Sean Vincent, exploring high-profile self-defense cases and identifying the lessons learned for concealed carriers. Hey everybody, this is Sean Vincent. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Today we're giving you part two of our interview with Craig Douglas. If you've been involved in the firearms training industry at all, you probably know Craig's name. He's the founder of ShivWorks and... Last time on our podcast, we talked a lot about developing soft skills, about verbal jujitsu, and today our podcast is going to feature more of a discussion about what happens when your soft skills haven't succeeded in either avoiding or diffusing a potential confrontation with a suspicious contact and your verbal literacy as Craig Douglas likes to put it, hasn't prevented what might be an inevitable physical confrontation. So today in our conversation, one of the things we touch on is how being confident in your physical skills is one thing that's going to help you avoid confrontations. And when it comes right down to it, if things have gone wrong and you're the victim of, say, a sucker punch, knowing how to take a punch is going to be a critical part of your self-defense toolkit. We also have a conversation about defensive displays. That's not brandishing, but that's using your firearm in a way where it's not pointed at the threat, but the display of it is meant to ward off a potential attacker. When that's justified, Craig says that a defensive display can be like tapping the brakes on a conflict that might be headed towards deadly violence and then one thing that craig's really big on is disambiguating complicated confrontations and one thing that he makes a point about is knowing the difference between someone who is expressively violent versus somebody who is immediately assaultive and we've covered lots of cases where someone's visibly aggressive But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to become physically aggressive. And being able to distinguish between one and the other can save an armed defender from what might otherwise be considered an unjustified self-defense shooting. And then uh, Steve Moses has done a lot of studying with Craig Douglas. It's our own Steve Moses whose friendship with Craig brought him to our podcast today. And one thing Steve's learned from Craig is the value of being a competent shooter from a retention position. A lot of times these self-defense scenarios involve attacker who's gotten very close and you need to be able to maintain control of your weapon and deploy it successfully if you're going to survive a situation like that. So thanks for listening in. Stay tuned. We'll be joined by Don West today, as always. Steve Moses, of course. And our friend, Craig Douglas. One thing Steve tells us about a lot when it comes to managing contacts, uh, contacts and being situationally aware. Steve, you talk about... You mentioned Craig at the beginning, you know, all this assumes that you didn't have your nose buried in your cell phone and that you were paying attention to what's around you. 
And Steve tells us that's the first clue to a potential attacker that you're not an easy mark because you're paying attention and you're connecting, uh, you're acknowledging that they're there. And then once someone's gotten within that circle, now what I'm hearing you tell us, we've got a ways to, without escalating it, start dealing with that person. But we're also demonstrating, and this is why I think the authenticity part of your conversation comes in. We're demonstrating that we're in control and we're not panicked or afraid. If someone is trying to mark us, we're starting to communicate to them now that we're prepared to deal with what's coming. Am I, am I right there? That you're absolutely correct. But on, but you know, the, there, there, there are two ways. There are two ways for you to do that. Okay. Number one, you actually have to be in control. If you don't want to sound panicked, then you can't be panicked and you actually have to be in control. And generally, the, the only way to connote that is if it's real and it's only going to be real is if you've prepared yourself. I'm not worried about a gunfight. I'm not worried about a fist fight. I'm not worried about it. You know, I've, I've had, I've, I'm, I've have had enough violence in my life to where I don't sweat a confrontation. I don't, it doesn't raise my blood pressure. You know, I have had violence meted out on me badly, almost lethally. And uh, I've most assuredly meted said violence out on other people. I know what it looks like and I don't, you know, it's not something that keeps me up at night. I don't worry about getting mugged or carjacked or anything else. So if that's your reality, that's your reality. And, and that confidence will most assuredly come across. If yeah. it's not, if it's not, then you have to sell it. And you have to sell it well. Now, I've sold myself as being things I'm not. Well, I was a professional liar for two years of <laughs> undercover work, you know, <laughs> so, I, so, and I've made a lot of good cases. So you, it's one of two things, right? You're going to have to sell it. That's the only way to do it. Well, and, and what I'm picking up there is uh, knowing how to take a punch goes a long way. Sure does. You know, just being punched once in the face, uh, does, does that rate shooting someone? You know, if somebody pops you in the face, you know, jars you. It, it's funny. Here's where we get to that ambiguity and the armed defender's dilemma when dealing with this. Because we know that certain people are capable of inflicting great bodily injury or death with their bare fists. But also, also one punch to the face without the other context there is not going to be a justifiable self-defense shooting. And, um, you know, Steve, you showed us some training that you had done with Craig about how to, how to take a punch. Uh, well, in terms of taking a punch, it actually means, uh, putting yourself into a position so a punch cannot land solidly on you in such a manner that is Craig, I, I think first heard I him say is knocks you out or knocks you down. And so basically it's more than just standing there and having a stiff neck and a firm chin. Yeah. There is a prescribed method that Craig teaches 
Uh, it works very, very well. Uh, it's worked for me before. I've seen examples where it's worked. And uh, Craig, if you would just go ahead and, and you know address default cover. Yeah, so it's a uh, the uh, uh, what I call a default position, and I describe that as a uh, a single non-diagnostic motor skill that keeps you conscious and mobile long enough to get in or get out. So it's bridge work to an escape, or it's bridge work possibly into physical control, or it could be bridge work into a uh, into a, a, a draw depending on whether that's warranted or not. But nonetheless, um, it's a it's an asymmetrical head cover where uh, basically I, uh, I frame my arms around my head in such a way that they're almost like a helmet. They're really close to my face and my neck and I lock them down and I cover key areas, the temples, the hinge of the jaw, the sides of the neck, and I isolate the head from neck rotation. Those are the those are the, the requirements that have to be met to uh, keep from getting knocked unconscious. And I combine that with what we call a level change, which is a rapid drop of my center of gravity that stabilizes me and lowers me in an effort to stay upright under impact. So we uh, it's a it's a thing to do. It's one thing. It's like a seatbelt. I think the analogy to seatbelt is really good. It's nothing I want to use. It's preferred to, to, you know, if I were to make the driving analogy again, it's preferred to have awareness, you know, and see the drunk weaving from side to side a quarter mile away, pull over to the shoulder and let that idiot pass. But if you're not aware, if you're uh, on your phone, if you have a narrow field of awareness or vision and you miss that guy and he slams into you, you know, what kicks in the airbag, the uh, seatbelt, same thing with default position. It's a thing that mitigates the crash and it doesn't diagnose if the collision is front side or rear, just like you don't diagnose is what's flying at your head, a left, a right, an arc, a straight, is there, is there not something in his hand in that split second, that's extraneous information. It's a, it's a pretty simple heuristic or, you know, quarter second. This guy's moved first. Uh, you've got to stay conscious and mobile long enough to get in or get out. And that's the, that's the split second we're in. Can you, so maybe it's a good time to talk about, we, we, we've spent a long time on the, the verbal skills and the social literacy. So now we're getting to the point where if those haven't worked, and, and maybe we've used this technique to, to block the first blow. Now, what's our plan? What What's our next step in our playlist? So it really depends on him. You know, if a guy swung at me one time, you know, and, uh, and I covered with that default position, then he stood back and said, what are you going to do now? I, you know, maybe there's an option to escape. There might be an option to draw a pistol if warranted and it very well could be it very well could be you know very well could be warranted you know if it's a 300 pound dude that hits a girl you know who's 90 pounds she may very well if she survives that initial blow and she has the the opportunity she may very well be justified in at least drawing a pistol and trying to manage a retreat 
you know, which is a tap on the brakes before actually drawing and firing a pistol. You know, does she have the presence of mind to do that after a single blow from a, someone that outweighs her by 100 pounds at least? Um, does she have the presence of mind to do that after receiving that blow but not being assaulted anymore? You know, I, I think it's interesting, and I'm not, I can't remember where it was at in Florida. You know, we, we make all the jokes about Florida, man. But there was a case about the parking spot, and Don, you may be familiar with that one. The Drake it, case. The Michael Drake it, case. The Michael Drake case. Yeah, yeah where the, the, uh, the handicapped parking spot Cor- that's and how it. that, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, where the, uh, you know, the guy starts giving the, the people the what for about parking, and the, the boyfriend comes out, whops the guy one time. And just kind of stands back and the guy pop. I, I'm not sure what the status of that case is. I, I don't see that going well. He's convicted you know? of manslaughter. It, they, it, it, so that was a disposition, a disposition of the case. It's a manslaughter. A he jury trial. Yeah. yeah, full-blown jury trial. And uh, the jury convicted him. And he was sentenced to what? 15 years in prison? 20? Somewhere. Something like that. Yeah, I'll fact check it. But in that neighborhood, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, and that's exactly the case I was thinking of, where it's like, well, he was assaulted. Yeah, but well, it's funny, Craig. We talk about that case a lot in as an instance where his defensive display, or at least he pulled the pistol, and and just to be clear here, when you talk about a defensive display, we're never talking about pointing the pistol at somebody in, in, until you're ready to fire, right? But he he pulled his he drew his gun to fire and there's this pause there that the sheriff of Pinellas County talked about that gave him pause there's a if you saw the, the video of this Drake is on the ground he's got pushed there Marquise McLaughlin's a big guy he's sort of lording over him as soon as that pistol appears Marquise McLaughlin takes a couple of steps back his whole body language changes he's like whoa 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 this is a whole different story now he he stopped the attack with the presentation of the pistol yeah, and I, you know, I, I, those are all, you know, I, I always call those a tap on the brakes. Clearing a cover garment and establishing grip on a gun is that that works. Clearing a cover garment, establishing a grip on a gun, actually taking it out of the holster, but not pointing it at someone, that works. That's a tap on the brakes. Drawing the pistol out of the holster and pointing it at someone those are all taps on the brakes i hear people say well never point a gun at someone you know or or actually what they say is you know actually pointing a gun at someone is part of the shooting cycle and i take issue with that because i don't know how many people i pointed guns at you know um i i have no idea how many people i pointed guns at in my law enforcement career you know that that I didn't fire on and, and all of those things are efforts at not you know treating this person I'm interacting with like a, like a plate rack at a USPSA match you know they're all taps on the brakes they all are I think all of those things I think you can I think you can show a guy you're armed without drawing it I think you can draw it and not point it at him I think you can draw it point it at him and not shoot him and then I think you can draw and fire right and and those are all things that are again little taps on the brakes that keep you hopefully from 
from from having to having to fire. But you know, if you, when you do, you do. The, the The purpose of all this stuff, and and this is what I see more often than not, the more time people spend, you know, engaging in ambiguity and using these other problem solving modalities. Here's what I do see: they become more decisive after experiencing this. You know, I, I get a lot of repeat business and I have a lot of alumni that train with me annually. You know, I get a guy that's done like three or four ECQC classes. Their, their, their shifts and their decision-making when, when they know, okay, that didn't work. Boom, time to go here. Boom, that didn't work. That didn't work. And, and, and as importantly, their ability to tap the brakes. Because a lot of times what will happen is They'll get into some kind of physical confrontation, <clears throat> you know, uh, they'll, they'll barely escape from the physical confrontation and just like in that case, draw the pistol. And, you know, my people have the presence of mind, usually after a couple of exposures, just tap the brakes a little bit. If that guy's backing up or, or, or if he's done just like in that video going, Hey, whoa. Most of my people are pretty good at tapping the brakes and shutting it down right then, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, there's no doubt in my mind, it's because of the direct exposure and it's because of the previous failures that they've had in good, interactive, immersive, experiential training. I want to clarify something real quick for our, our listeners. And I'm going to guess if I know, uh, enough about the, all the fire instructors we've talked to that when you say you, when you point the gun at somebody you would never point the gun at somebody that you didn't feel you were justified in using deadly force against but if you can see that that stopped the threat you don't have to follow through just because you've pointed a gun is that the right impression of that yeah if i point a gun at someone i most assuredly am comfortable with shooting them i've just chosen for the moment not to and you have the you're paying attention enough to where you can tell you know, these self defense situations move so fast that in the split second it takes to raise that gun up and point it, the the situation can change. And being aware, having thought through these situations, knowing what your playlist is, paying attention, these that allows you to tap the brakes, like you say, and step back whenever things have changed. So it doesn't all go from zero to sixty in a second. Yeah, and 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 I and and the a hundred percent. And here's the thing too: the better the students get, the harder I push them. So I will run scenarios specifically where I want a seasoned alumni, usually an intermediate guy, certainly, you know, some guy Steve's level or better. But I will I will specifically push the scenario to in an attempt to hone their social literacy and their emotional intelligence and see if they can make a distinction between somebody who is expressively violent or immediately assaultive. So specifically, I'll run a scenario where I will have uh, them escort a female coworker, you know, out to a parking lot because she's going through a divorce. So they do that. And in the middle of the scenario, I'll send in, uh, you know, a male role player. And uh, that's the estranged soon to be ex-husband. And he'll come in and say, hey, hey, 
I need my keys to the house. You've locked me out of the house. And then the female uh, gets like really verbally aggressive with him. He yells back and we see what the person does. Do they disengage or do they, do they try and white knight? Do they try and inject themselves between the two? And again, I don't say this is a person who's important to you. I don't say this is a family member. I say this is a female coworker. You know, so you've got to make a decision, you know, how much do you want to buy that? So um, if the person that's doing the escort interjects on the male role player, I'll have him shift his attention from the female to him and say, hey, man, that's my wife. This is none of your business. And then go back. He again has an opportunity to disengage. If he continues to white knight, my guy pulls his pistol out and he points it at the male guy. Now, one of two things is going to happen. Either he's going to go for this draw badly, okay, or he's going to be cool and say, hey, man, okay, and try and fade out. If he does that, then my male role player shifts his attention back to the female, points the gun down by his size, and starts yang 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 talking loud the female is even more aggressive so now we have the ccw guy that's evaluating this guy holding a gun not pointing it at anyone we have the female who's more aggressive verbally and apparently has no fear of this dude or the pistol that he's holding so now he's got one of two options he can observe or he can take that covert shot on the draw that he's earned and zip dude right in the ear if he's positioned himself well and solve the problem because the guy is indeed holding a gun. If he lets it go and chooses not to take any action, here's how the scenario ends. She finally reaches down, snatches the pistol out of his hand and says, I gave you this gun for Christmas. Now get the F out of here. And he kind of stalks off with his head hung in this kind of like beta male shuffle. So, you know, was the kinetic answer correct? Could be. Was the non-kinetic answer correct? It worked, you know. Is there a difference between immediately assaultive and expressively violent? Yeah, most assuredly. People in low-income neighborhoods and, and, and ghettos all around the country routinely point guns at each other expressively and not a shot is fired. Now, unless you have experienced that and understand that, you don't know. Now, can somebody fire a shot in a heartbeat? Most assuredly, okay? Here's the point, though. The point is to hone their social literacy and get them to understand there, there are probably even greater, you know, splices of gray beyond just shoot don't shoot you know gun in hand gun in use we used to teach that back in the 90s you know steve probably remembers that gun in hand gun in use and we shot people when they were holding guns in public spaces period that's what we did you know now with the explosion of ccw with the uh with open carry you know i mean we we, we just can't do that anymore so um yeah, I like, I like that kind of stuff. I like, and that's, that's where I dwell.
There are plenty of guys that shoot better than I do that are better marksmanship, you know, and gun handling, diagnosticians, okay? And uh, that's just not, uh, it's not where I spend my time. This is what I do. Because I think it's important, and I, I just don't see, you know, people spending time here. And I think it's as important as, you know, all the gun stuff. Hey, Sean, something I would like to throw in right now also is that part of Craig's ECQC program includes uh, retention shooting and close contact shooting. And so in regard to like maybe the 300 pound guy and the 90 pound woman, you know, he punched her, she stood back, you know, she grabbed a gun. Well, if an average person did that, uh, probably they would end up having that gun taken away from them and perhaps used against them. And Craig teaches within his system uh, a four-part draw. And the what this does is it gives the students the ability to use a firearm from a very close position, a retention position, when they're in danger of being entangled. What this really does is it gives the students additional options. And, you know, in conjunction with uh, this confidence, I can take care of myself, which probably carries over during the managing unknown contact phases it's also a very powerful thing for the students to have in their possession when dealing with another person and something that perhaps would maybe prevent someone from going to a firearm too early uh, simply because they didn't know what else to do and they were scared which might result in criminal charges later yeah so within yeah. the program there's a uh, there's a there's a live fire module where we uh, adapt shooting to the specifics and peculiarities of of within arm's reach entanglement a clinch a ground fight confined in crowded space so it's not to, it's not about teaching people how to shoot but adapt shooting to a specific problem and um that uh thumb pectoral index retention position is is a big part of that dialing that in so it's consistent accurate safe uh, deconflicting the support hand uh, that's invariably ahead of the muzzle in the real life, in, in real life, always in real life, to make sure those rounds aren't coming anywhere close to where this hand is always going to be uh, active and and you know trying to problem solve and fight. What what I just heard there in a uh, complicated way is tactics to keep you from shooting your hand. While you're while you're in a close quarters, while shooting together. someone else, that's exactly it, Sean. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation so far, and one of the big things I'm getting from it is it, we, we kind of set this up in the beginning that the encounters that people see are very seldom the cut and dried encounters that they might imagine, and they're much more likely to find themselves in an unfolding domestic dispute <laughs> between two other people and they have to decide how am I going to be involved in this? And we couldn't possibly imagine all the scenarios that we could potentially encounter uh, taking the time to visualize and, and look at real life encounters and think about how we'd interact is one thing that we can do, but also to understand you talk about the social literacy that there are other people from other walks of life who aren't going to behave in a way that's predictable to us or that we understand and and to keep in mind that there are other possibilities for their behavior than the one that we jump to the conclusion and, and assume and also that 
really I have this huge sense of every little thing that we say and do is going to have a huge impact on the result of any conflict or any potential encounter with an unknown contact. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, I'll, I'll tell you a really quick story on that. Um, I'm loaned out in the nineties to an agency buying drugs. And this is a funny story. There are no select severe consequences, but I'm buying crack. <clears throat> so I'm trolling along in a vehicle in a housing project, 97, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, it was it was just a dry hole of a day nobody would sell to me finally you know and 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 i'm there loaned out to this agency to make cases for them on on this this drug sting operation so anyway um i'm driving along and i see a guy on the corner kind of gives me the 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 chin lift you know and uh drive up to him and i'm trying to trying to think of something and be cool and buy from this guy and i said hey man what do you I, I need something. He's like, what do you need? And I said, I need a 40, meaning a $40 piece of crack cocaine. And he kind of like, ah. I said, come on, man, I got money, man. Hurry up. There's, 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 there's police car. There's police right around the corner, man. Let's go. Cause I'm, I want him to sell to me quick. And, uh, he said, police around the corner. I said, yeah, man, I just saw a patrol car. And as soon as I said patrol car, cause nobody says that except a police officer his head snapped down he looked at me sucked his teeth he said yeah go on and i was done it was that one slip not not you know a horrendous thing to blow a dope deal and not be able to not be able to buy on that block because i can move a couple blocks over still and all done that quick because of the lapse in language you know because i said patrol car nobody says that except a police officer. So, lesson learned with no consequence. All right, guys, that's our show for today. turns out we didn't hear much from Don West in part two, but stick around in part three. You'll hear a lot more of Don West, and we'll continue our conversation with Craig Douglas. I promise you a fact check. Michael Draca was sentenced to 20 years for manslaughter and the shooting of Marquise McLaughlin. We'll have more next time. Until then, be smart, stay safe, take care. Don't stop believing.